In keeping with our theme of the quiet gentleness of the coming of Christmas, this morning's text fits it perfectly. For it is about two women who are cousins who are completely surprised to be with child. They are expecting. Didn't used to be able to say it in church, but they're pregnant. There's Elizabeth who is way too old and past childbirth, having never conceived. And there's Mary, way too young, betrothed, yes, but not yet married. Here's the setup before we read the text. Elizabeth had been pregnant for six months when the angel Gabriel showed up at Mary's home in a town called Nazareth. Later in the Bible, someone would say nothing good comes out of Nazareth, talking about the Nazarene, Jesus. And the angel breaks in on Mary, surprising her, who is translated as virgin or literally a young maiden. And she's, and she's engaged to be married. And the, and, and the angel startles her and gives her the news that she has been favored, highly favored by God, and that the Lord was with her. Barely a woman, favored by God. She was, the text says, perplexed. Duh. Shaken. Don't be afraid, the angel told her. You will conceive and bear a son, and his name will be Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. It is doxology that the angel is singing. And Mary says to the angel, how can this be since I am a virgin? And the angel responded, the Holy Spirit, it will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you and therefore the child to be born will be holy and he will be called Son of God. Now you're a relative of Elizabeth in her old age, and she also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her. They thought she was barren, but nothing is impossible for God, the angel said. And then Mary consented, saying, here I am, here I am. Or more like probably, here I am, servant of the Lord. Let it be according to your word. Then, poof, the angel departs. Now this morning's text from the 39th verse of the first chapter of Luke. After that time, Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and was greeted by Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the baby 
leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear, but why, why am I so favored that my, the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, Elizabeth said, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with his arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but he has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but he has sent the rich away empty. He has helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors. Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. O oh God, by your Holy Spirit, we pray new things will be born in us as we hear and do your word. Let your Spirit grow in us a new life to be born into the world. In Christ's name, amen. So this is how Luke begins his story, unlike any of the other Gospels with these two surprising women, one too old, the other too young, suddenly, scandalously, unexpectedly expecting. You can just imagine the gossip. What's that old coot Elizabeth doing? She's been barren all these years and now she turns up expecting. You know, it, all, it, it almost seems like Zachariah might not be the father. They've tried and tried for years. You'd think she would have given up by now. She's old enough to be a great-grandmother, much less a mother. And for Mary, the worst gossip of all. Did you hear about Mary and Joseph? Mm, mm, mm. I know they're engaged. I know they're betrothed, but they're not yet married. She's barely 12, maybe a little over. Bless her heart. No wonder she left town so quickly to go be with her cousin. That's how the gospel story starts about the announcement of Jesus' birth, the Son of God. And what Luke wants us to get is what a scandal it is. It doesn't just stop with the women. 
The scandal continues, Jesus as the Son of God, and it carries through the whole gospel message, through the whole New Testament, really. In Jesus' day, you were basically who you were, and you would become basically what you already were. Everything was predetermined by virtue of your birth. We've been told that, yes, we can do or be pretty much anything we want, and there's some truth in that, but some of us were born with a silver spoon in our mouths and have an easier time of it. Some of us were born on third base. Whatever base we were born on, however, in our world, our country, thank the Lord, we have the freedom to become and do what we set our mind to if we work hard enough. But in Jesus' day, it was all locked in. The caste system was already established and there was really no way out. There was no upward mobility. Your father's a carpenter, you'll be a carpenter. Your father's a shepherd, you'll be a shepherd. You were stuck in the tribe, the family, the situation, the race, Jewish or Gentile, the business, your birth order, you're either oldest or not, your gender, your hometown, you never really left it, and the tragedy, if it occurs, of the loss of the patriarchal father of the family who leaves behind widows and orphans, which is why the prophets say, take care of the widows and orphans, for without a patriarchal presence, you're dead. This is the scheme. And the scheme worked so that those who had power and money, the rich, would stay rich and powerful, and the powerful would grow more powerful unless they were somehow overcome by somebody more powerful still, except for the widows and orphans and the poor people who had really nothing. Generally, it was believed in those days that all the places that you were born into was already predetermined by the gods if you're Roman or Greek, or by Yahweh, if you were Jewish. It didn't start out that way for the Jews, but it got that way later in Jesus' day. It was all predetermined. This predeterminism became more and more mainlined, especially among the Jewish religious authorities, because you see, that predeterminism would only justify their leadership and rule in the temple. It is predetermined that I'm a priest. I was born into the family of Levi, the family of priests. It's predetermined that I was the firstborn because I was the one God chose to be that. It's predetermined that I have power and money because God has ordained it so. Follow the rules. Comes out right. If it doesn't come out right, well... Maybe that's predetermined too, or maybe I've just done something wrong, I don't know. Job doesn't have an answer to that question. There is some truth that living apart from God and the law leads more easily to disaster, but there is just as much proof and just as many instances where doing it as well as you can and following God's law also leads to great suffering. The thought that if you do it well, predetermined by God, I'm here, I'm here by God's providence. If you do it well, it's called the prosperity gospel. And, and we can watch television show after television show that promotes this. It will find you a parking place, maybe. 
especially during Christmas, aren't I blessed? This prosperity scheme, how many times have we heard it? I mean, it gets ugly. I've heard it before in terms of race. I've heard it that I have been preordained. I have been, I have been preordained as a white Christian and that gives me a sense of superiority. Or I'm successful and rich because God has determined that I should be just as long as I confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and I'll go to heaven. In Jesus' day, the Roman Empire was built on the lie that Caesar was predetermined by God, chosen by the gods, and was the only God to worship. And not only that, but the Roman Empire would be the Roman Empire forever and ever. To remind you of something like the Third Reich, all thought predetermined, predetermined by God to be the great Aryan race. How long did it last? It's not just them, by the way, it's us. We slightly smug, self-reliant, overly theological Presbyterians who sometimes claim that we are here as Christians because God has predestined us to be so. Otherwise, if we weren't predestined, we wouldn't believe. All predetermined by God. Some will be saved, some will be not saved. Those who will be saved, God has predestined. There's a school of Presbyterianism that believes that. I don't. But there's a school. As if, as if all the universe is a sim game that God is playing with and we're the stupid pieces with no real human choice or agency. We're just predestined. Job scandalizes this, as does the whole Bible when we look at it. There's a tough word, scandal. It comes from the Greek skandalion, which means stumbling block. A stone that causes you to trip and fall as you're on your journey. Scandalion. Luke understood that Jesus is the biggest scandal of all. A stumbling block. When we start thinking that life is really about economic, political, personal, and religious power... Jesus is the scandal of that. He causes us to trip up. Think about his birth. Total scandal. If he is the son of God, born in the belly of a too young virgin who scandalously has to leave town, and as I read it, everything that follows is more so scandalous. He's born in a manger, a feeding stall. There is no room for him. In the end, there's homelessness at stake. The Son of God is born into a homeless family. Do you get the scandal of that? And, and at birth, they're surrounded not by warm family, but by smelly sheep people and animals. And sheep people, shepherds, were the lowest rung on the vocational ladder. Don't want to be a shepherd, but that's who comes, that's who gets the announcement. 
He's born in a manger, and we miss the scandal of it. We see the sentimentality of it. We love it played out with our live nativity. All of that, it's wonderful. It makes us smile, but we miss the scandal. And then when Jesus grows up, his preaching and teaching is scandalous. The first sermon he preaches is to his home church in, in Nazareth, and, and he gets up and reads the text, and he folds the, rolls the scroll back, and then he begins to proclaim to them that this has now come to pass. The blind will see, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, and the poor will have the good news preached to them. And then he begins to extrapolate on this sermon to say to them, you remember that story in the Old Testament, called it the Bible then, that's all they had, about Elijah saving the, the child to the, to the woman from Tyre? Well, the woman from Tyre was not a Hebrew Jew. They remembered the story. Elijah went and saved her son, and Jesus says, but Elijah didn't go to any of the other sons of the Hebrew people, did he? And what the people heard from that was, wait a minute, this is our boy Jesus. And now he scandalized the text by saying that God works for those outsiders just as much as God works for us insiders. And then they tried to throw him off a cliff because he was such a scandal to their faith. Love your enemies. Turn the other cheek. Scandalous. He traveled with his 12 disciples and also women, scandalous. He scandalized his brothers and sisters when they came to him. Somebody said, your mother and brothers are here. And he says, my mother and my brothers are those who hear the word of God. You are my mothers and my brothers. His parables, every single parable is a scandal, a stumbling block to what we think is true. Take the prodigal son. The younger brother steals the inheritance from his father, which is just as much as to say, I wish you were dead, takes off, blows it on wine, women, and song, comes back, the father runs off the porch, embraces him, throws a huge party because it is such a scandal to the righteous elder brother he doesn't come. The elder brother doesn't come, which causes an even greater scandal for not showing up. And in the crescendo of it all, Luke has Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God, whipped, spit on, laughed at, and nailed to a cross where he is crucified between two criminals. Now, that's scandalous. But it's also the very scandal of faith. Paul says in 1 Corinthians, for Jews demand signs and Greeks seek, seek wisdom but we proclaim Christ crucified, a scandal to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. As an aside, I'm saddened by the ways that we have sentimentalized Christmas and some of the silly stuff the church has worked its way through over the years. The over-veneration of Mary, the Blessed Virgin, the doctrine of immaculate conception, which is really, if you do the research, not just about Mary being conceived immaculately, but because Augustine said intercourse was sin, the product of sin, then Mary could not have been conceived through intercourse, so therefore Mary's mother have to, would have had to have been conceived immaculately too. It, it's 
To me, it's, it's silly. You can ask somebody when they go through ordination exams, what do you believe about the virgin birth? And if you have any sense, you'll say, I believe the same thing Paul believed. Paul never mentioned it. I don't know about the biological scandal of this. It sounds completely physiologically scandalous to me. I don't know. But it's a scandal. Everything about it is a scandal. I was talking to a friend recently, a good friend. He's in my Bible study. He's well known. He's, I mean, what's not to like? He's just one of the good guys in the world. He was a, he was a U.S. congressman for a lot of years, and he's retired now. And he's, when he went to Florida, he was like the number one campus crusade for Christ evangelist. They say he evangelized more kids in sports programs and in classes and all over than anybody that's ever walked the campus in Gainesville. And he continued that on through his life, even when he was in office. He was strongly evangelical, conservative, and at that time, quite fundamentalist. But he's changed. And I know he's changed because he shared how he's changed. And in my phone call with him last week, I'm walking around. I'm fine with COVID. I, need, I was bored. I needed to talk to somebody, so I called him. And I said, uh, how's your spiritual life? He goes, it's unbelievable. I was like, okay, what's so good about it? He goes, I'm finally reaching the point, he's 77, I'm finally reaching the point where I can understand the fact that I am not certain about much of anything anymore. Not certain. But I am faithful, he said. For faith, for me, he said, is not about the four steps to Christianity or taking the Bible literally or whatever that the scandalous power brokers want us to believe. Faith for him, and he's right, faith for him is about trust. Not knowing. The assurance of things not known. Trust. And the trust, he said, is about God. I trust God, and I trust in God, and I also have faith that if I don't have much faith, which happens a lot, but when I don't have much faith, my deeper faith says that God has much faith in me. God has faith in me. That's what my faith is built on. Such faith, it turns out, that God is willing to take on the flesh of scandal in the one Jesus Christ who was born, who lived, who scandalized all of the power structures, all conspired to, to put him down. They crucified him, dead and buried. That's what you do with scandals. You, you dead, you kill it, and you bury it. Only on the third day he rose from the, again from the dead. Do you get the scandal of all this? It defies everything we think to be as true. It is so scandalous, it should be a stone that trips us up, keeps us on our face in humility, aware that what I think is right 
You talk about a scandal. Look for the scandal this Christmas. It's there. In Christ's name, amen.